This is a reading from the book of Genesis, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, found on page 3 of the Pew Bibles. Hear these words from the book that we love. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was the keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock, and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain his offering had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your blood, brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground. From your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here for our second week in our series on the book of Amos. So for those who missed our last session, what we did was we, we took the time to establish uh, what we referred to as corrective lenses, and we talked about how oftentimes uh, when we go to like something like the eye doctor, we, we find out if we're nearsighted or short-sighted, but in the context uh, of today and as we talk about that, uh, I just feel like culturally, just personally, oftentimes we're nearsighted, and so we struggle to see things outside of ourselves. and the further away they are, the harder it is for us to see those details. And so as we entered into the book of Amos, we created these glasses to understand the cultural and historical context of the book of Amos, because I don't think that if we, uh, if we miss that, if we don't see those details, then we miss details that God has placed in the text for us. And so, um, so this week, we're going to put those glasses on once again to help gain a clear understanding of the message that God was and is speaking through his prophet Amos, both to the people in their specific historical context and for us today more broadly. And so during that sermon, we examined the kings of Israel and their tendencies to forget their God, replacing him with golden cows, idols that divided their hearts and led them astray. And as we did that, we realized that although this was happening in the days of Amos, uh, the truth is even today we often get distracted by other things and they take our eyes off of our true God and worshiping him. And so we acknowledge that our inclination is to be distracted and that we constantly are nearsighted or lose sight of God, not just for ourselves, but also for the ones that we influence, including our families and communities. And 
and that this has significant consequences both personally and for the people around us. And furthermore, we explored God's response to a wayward nation. We discovered that God mourns when his family strays, and he earnestly warns us about the consequences. But we also saw that his primary desire is to call us back home to him. We saw that God is a God of justice that will ultimately judge those who rebel against him. But before that, he's merciful and gracious, and he sends messengers and shepherds not to condemn or judge, but to urge us to, to repent and return to him. And so today we're going to continue where we left off by examining the surrounding nations of Israel, and we'll see what happens when a people persistently choose to reject God's call, when, when they re- refuse to hear that lion and, and instead choose to continue in rebellion. But before we dive into that, I'd like to take a moment uh, and turn back. We just read from Genesis chapter 4, and and I wanted to set the tone for this morning. And so we're going to see here a a thematic tone for our discussion, helping us to understand what God wants to communicate for us this morning. And so again, I'm going to read Genesis 4. I know we just heard it, but it's God's word, and we're supposed to love it, and I do. So here we go. Genesis chapter 4. And now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Then Cain spoke to his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you're cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord says to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain's vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And then the Lord places a mark on Cain, lest any who find him should attack him. Then then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So I'm sure for many of us here, this is at least a familiar story. We've heard it before, but from it and for today, there's there's things I want us to see. Uh, Again, Contextual lenses are really helpful. This story is absolutely rich, and I encourage you to study it some more. But for today, here's what I want us to see. 
For so though we may not know all the details of Cain's offering, we do know that he did not do well because of verse 7, if he had, God would have accepted it. So from the limited details we have, we can see that it wasn't Cain's offering that was the issue, but it was something about how he did so. It was an issue of the heart. And second, we see God's call to repentance and warning not to stray because of sin's ever-present ready to take God's place as the ruler in his life. And so he tells him to be vigilant. And finally, and most significant for this morning, is the answer to Cain's question in verse 9 is a resounding yes. You are your brother's keeper. Your actions affect others. Sin is almost always against another. And so you have a responsibility for how your, effect, uh, your actions affect them. And so this morning as we step back into Amos, we'll, we'll look at uh, chapter 1, verse 3 through um, 2, 3. And we'll be looking at God's judgments upon their, their neighbors surrounding Israel. And in them we'll find the same heart of Cain to give in to sin instead of heeding God's call and warning. And so, uh, again, I'm going to read this straight through, and I encourage you just to um, even close your eyes, if you'd like, to just hear God's word, uh, and then we'll go through and we'll summarize the things that we see here, and when we'll approach those one by one, looking at each nation. Uh, but, but let me read God's word to you. It says this, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke punishment. Because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. So I will send a fire upon the house of Hazel, and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. I will break the gate bars of Damascus and cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Avon. And him who holds the scepter of beth and the people of Syria shall go into exile to Kerr, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four I will not revoke punishment because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Edom. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Gaza and it shall devour her strongholds. I will cut off the inhabitants of Ashad and, his, and him who holds the scepter of Ashkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre and for four I will not revoke punishment, because they delivered up a whole people to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre, and it shall be devoured, or it shall devour her strongholds. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom and for four I will not revoke punishment. Because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity, and his anger tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. So I will send a fire upon Teman, and it shall devour the strongholds of Bozara. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites and for four, I will not revoke punishment, because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead, that they might enlarge their border. So I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabah, and it shall devour her strongholds with shouting on the day of battle, with a tempest in the day of the whirlwind, and their king shall go into exile, and he and his princes together 
says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because he burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom. So I will send a fire upon Moab and it shall devour the strongholds of Kiriath. And Moab shall die amid uproar, amid shouting and the sound of trumpets. I will cut off the ruler from its midst and will kill all its princes with him, says the Lord. So like we did last week, in order to understand what we just read, we put on those corrective lenses and so that we could see the details of who God is condemning and for what he's judging them. Because when we spend time to discover those things, we find that uh, he's doing something specific in the structure of this text and in the judgments that he places on them. And so this morning, I want to begin here by looking at the format of these judgments we just read. So first, did you notice how they all started? He said, for three and for four, therefore, I will not revoke. And so here's what God's saying. Not just for three things, not just for four, but for seven, the, the, the biblical number for completion. So for complete transgression, for total disobedience, for full rebellion, I will not withhold my judgment. God's saying these people have been in this complete rebellion regardless of the constant warnings that he's given. And so for their utter refusal to heed those, to, to disregard the mercy of his messengers and shepherd, shepherds, it's now time for them to face the lion and for these judgments to commence. And he judges each of their sins against his children. All of these condemnations are for sins that these neighbors committed against Israel. So just as he condemned Cain for his sins against Abel, one of God's children, he, he here condemns nations for their sins against their brothers. So it's not individual sinning against individual, but it's corporate judgment against a nation for its corporate sins. And so for us here, uh, here's what, what I think we need to see first. And it's this, listen, God's, God judges nations for their obedience or their disobedience to people. God judges both individuals but also communities for the way they live. And I think as Americans, this is important for us to hear because we live increasingly in an individualistic society where personal freedoms are often golden calves. But church, we are our brother's keeper. We as a church and as a country are and will be judged for how we serve or how we sin against our neighbors. There's corporate accountability and there's consequences whether we recognize it or not. And so when we realize this, the issues in our world, especially in our local community, becomes increasingly significant. Like when we understand that how our communities handle the poor and the marginalized and the foreigners uh, uh, affects us corporately, we begin to wonder, how well is our community doing with these things? And if our community, listen to me, if they suck at caring for these people, it means that we need to do something about it. In some way, we are responsible for the people in our neighborhoods, and we are sinning against them, and by extension, God, when we ignore the people or the issues of our neighborhood. We are our brother's keeper. 
And so this morning, I don't want to scare any of us or inflate this going too far, but church, this is why we promote the ESL classes, because you care about immigrants and we want them to succeed here. And we work with Alpha Care because we believe that parenthood is hard and that lives, especially those of the most vulnerable, should be cared for. We want to be a people that recognize that we are our brother's keeper and that when God tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves, what that means is that we have to love our neighbors as ourselves. God judges us individually for how well we understand that and live that out, but he also looks at how well we obey or reject that calling on a corporate level. And so this is why to Damascus, the capital of the Arameans, God condemns them for taking part of Israel's territory promised to them by God. And he condemns them as a people for splitting apart God's family and their home. And it's why to Gaza, the capital of the Philistines, he condemns them for capturing and selling God's people. And so both of these nations God condemns for the way that they treated their neighbors, their foreign neighbors, taking what was not theirs and making others servants, profiting off of them as objects instead of treating them as people. And so, so church today, we have this question, who have you or we treated like commodities instead of with compassion? Like what groups have you deemed as less than? So now I doubt and I certainly hope that none of us here have ever stolen land from a neighbor and certainly I hope that we haven't sold anyone into slavery. But who have you treated like a tool or a servant? How do you treat the people in the service industry today? Like in those moments, are they people to you? Imbued with the image of God or are they just servants there for your convenience? Have you ever asked them their name or thank them for what they're doing, like genuinely thank them for the work that they're doing so that you don't have to. How do you see immigrants? Have you forgotten our own biblical history, our status as foreigners and sojourners now here and home, uh, our home in another kingdom? Listen, God condemns Damascus and Gaza for for treating their neighbors and for treating strangers without compassion, but instead as objects to steal and sell. And, and then from here, he turns to Tyre, and with cr- increased severity in his language, he condemns them for the way that they've betrayed close friends. Again, so for context, uh, you can look to 1 Kings chapter 5 or chapter 12, and there you'll find that Israel in the days of Solomon made a covenant with the Phoenicians to be as brothers to them and to support one another. And you can see there the many ways that they did that. But now, in the days of Amos, they've forgotten that commitment and have taken advantage of Israel and broken that covenant between friends to once again sell God's people into slavery. So in Damascus and and Gaza, they sinned against Israel. That was certainly one thing. But now for, for Tyre, their close friends, this betrayal cuts even deeper. And so church, here's my next question. What friendship have you forgotten or betrayed? Who do you need to forgive or seek forgiveness from? Listen, our God is a God of reconciliation. So recognize how deep those wounds can go and pursue that reconciliation where you need to. 
if it isn't clear yet as we look at these, it wasn't for me, uh, but God has been judging these, these nations in, in increasingly intimate and increasingly harsh ways. So these first two groups, they were strangers, just neighbors, totally unrelated. And this next group from Tyre were close friends. And then these next three are family. So the Edomites were the descendants of Esau, and they were called brothers by God, and whose land God chose to protect for them. For them, Yet they were also a people who rejected God and held on to their hatred towards Israel for the sins of their fathers. So they always saw Israel's harm. They were constant thorns in Israel's side, and you can see it here. When you look back at the condemnations against these peoples, note how Edom was always a place where God's people were sent to be sold. And as we continue to look at the judgments against uh, Ammon and Moab, we find, again, close relatives sinning, sinning against one another with complete disregard. And both Ammon and Moab were direct descendants of Lot, Abraham's nephew, who he loved and cared for and who God saved from Sodom and Gomorrah. But despite God's mercies towards them, we can find how they, too, rejected God's call to repentance and instead followed after other gods and sinned against their brothers. And you can read those prophecies found in Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Zephaniah. And there you find this picture that's painted for us. You see that the Ammonites were driven by greed and jealousy, intentionally killing their future heirs of Gilead to prevent them from claiming the promised land. They didn't hesitate to, to murder unborn children and pregnant women to achieve that desire. And by doing so, they stole the inheritance of Israel. Despite knowing about the, their ancestor Lot's God, the Ammonites allowed their greed to guide their actions. And so these people not only took the land, but also robbed future generations and stole their confidence as a people. Their motive was to possess the wealth they saw in Israel, but they refused to acknowledge that it was a blessing from God. And then you have the Moabites who sought to absolutely disrespect their brothers by desecrating the graves of the people they held in the highest esteem. And so all three of these final peoples were nations that God had been gracious to and faithful to, yet they turned their backs on him and they sought to harm their brothers because of their own jealousies that they left unchecked. And those sins turned to hatred and those hatreds became to them false gods, golden calves which mastered them but could not give them what they desired, instead led them away from the one who could. And so listen, the ones who are able to hurt us most are most often the family and the ones closest to us. And when we allow that hurt to remain, it becomes resentment. And too often resentment becomes something that enslaves us. But as God told Cain, we must rule over those things. So how do you treat and see your families? Are there jealousies or wounds that need to be dealt with? Are there unforgiven sins of the past or even the present that you're holding on to? Put differently, what family relationship have you allowed to turn into resentment? Listen, if you don't seek the Lord for his help to master those things, they will control you. They will become like gods. They will be evil, spiteful, harmful to you. And there will be no freedom or joy. 
And listen, I can speak from experience on this one. Uh, There are family of origin, a baggage in my life that I carried for years in the form of bitterness and just completely repressed anger, unforgiveness, and it didn't just make me unhappy. It it sabotaged, sabotaged relationships. It harmed the ones around me. It prevented me from becoming the person I wanted to be, and it has taken years and miracles from God to get me to where I am today, and I'm sure that there's still plenty of work that needs to happen for me to be totally free of that bondage, but listen to me. Here's the good news for us battling with those things this morning. We don't fight it alone. We're not just our brother's keepers, but God has placed us in this miraculous family. Thanks to Jesus, our perfect older brother, we have now a multitude of brothers and sisters who are here to help keep and care for us. God has grafted us into his kingdom family to keep and care for us. Listen to this from Hebrews chapter two, verse eight through 18. It says, for it was fitting that he for whom by all things exist, is bringing many sons to glory. He should make the founder of their their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he's not ashamed to call them us, brothers. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook in the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus, the one from whom all things were made and for all things was made, our Lord and our Savior loves us so much that he humbled himself to be for a time lower than angels and become a servant among men, not to kill as candid, but to lay down his life for his brothers. He made himself a perfect sacrifice for the very ones who betrayed him or resented him so that they could have freedom from sin, from the sins that had become their masters. And so our brother Jesus understands what it means to be our keeper and he holds that responsibility and he took it upon himself to do what no individual or community could and in the suffering that he willingly accepted for us, we find a high priest of mercy who understands what it means to be tempted but also what it means to prevail where Cain and where we fail. So God, in the beginning of this book, he calls upon Amos' faithfulness and his love for his brothers in the north to help lead them back home to their God. And in this portion of text that we read this morning, God reveals his judgment on these foreign nations, not to them, but instead to the ones that have been sinned against to remind Israel, his people, that he's sovereignly in control and judges every person and every nation, to remind them that he hasn't forgotten justice. And through these judgments, we see that God holds people responsible individually and corporately for their obedience or their rebellion. And in that, we see that we are our brother's keeper. 
through God's judgments, we find that how we treat our neighbors or our friends or our families matters to God and how well or poorly we care for these communities will be something we answer for as individuals, but also as a people. And so this morning, I ask these questions and I invite you to to sit with these this week. Man, who have you treated like a commodity instead of with compassion? What friendship have you forgotten or betrayed? And what family relationship have you allowed to turn into resentment? Listen, these are questions that we all need to process through as we leave this space today. And uh, there's areas where we need to repent and reconcile. But be encouraged that you won't have to go through that alone. God has grafted us into his kingdom family to be there, to keep us and to care for us. And he's given us each other as brothers and sisters to help us carry that load. In Jesus, we have a perfect brother and a great high priest who understands the temptation to stray or to turn our backs on the calling of God. Yet in Jesus, we also have the one, the only one, who triumphed over that sin so that he he could share that victory with us. So now as we shift out of this sermon and into the rest of this service, let's rest on Jesus, the lion who became a lamb so that he could make us brothers and sisters for him to keep and care for. Let's be a people who keep one another and care for our communities. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that all the way from Genesis to Amos to the Gospels to your letters to your church, we can see this consistent thread that you're not just our king and Lord, though you are not just our savior, but our brother and our friend who cares how we treat one another and who loves and cares for all peoples and all nations. Lord, that your promise has always been for all peoples and all nations, but you chose to use Israel and the church to be your representatives to this world, to be your messengers like Amos to these rebellious nations. And Lord, we confess so many times we often look more like them than you. So we ask for forgiveness this morning, but we'll also praise you with gratitude, knowing that your victory is ours, that our sins are forgiven in you, because you made the propitiation, uh, you settled the debt that we had with you, the Father, so that we can now be face to face. We can experience your presence and all the blessings that come with that. 